Welcome, welcome to Game Over Montreal. A huge win from the Montreal Canadiens. A very, very strong game. I don't know why my webcam just blanked out for a second, but we'll we'll figure it out. Hopefully it doesn't die in the... I should say it's not a really webcam. It's a more expensive camera than that. But anyway, on to the fun stuff. There's lots of stuff to talk about tonight. Obviously, a really strong game from the Montreal Canadiens. Several players standing out in a big way. Discipline still a concern. I'm going to talk about that with my wonderful guest who I'm going to bring in right now. The one, the only, Scott Matla from Lockdown Canadians, who has disappeared slightly. Oh no, his Zoom window has changed. Ah, okay, my camera blanked off Zoom, that's what happened. Okay, so we're going to put Scott on the other side there. There we go, now we got Scott. Scott, how you doing? Can you hear me? Scott? Yeah, uh, I don't know what's going on, but my sound is all borked up on my end of things through oh, my headphones it? here, so I don't know why. <laughs> All right. Well, I will carry while uh, while Scott figures out his audio here. You sound good to me, Scott. So that's good. I don't think I've called you Scott this many times in a short period of time. I feel like I'm just yelling your name out a bunch of times. All right, folks. I think uh, it's a pretty fun show we have for you tonight because that was a really, really impressive game from the Montreal Canadiens, despite the fact that they blew uh, the two-goal lead. Uh, I thought it was overall... Probably the best game they've played this season, uh, considering it wasn't Chicago. Uh, the Washington Capitals. Oh, it looks like Scott's uh, frozen now. Oh, he's back. Can you hear me, Scott? Still nothing, eh? All right, let's see. Maybe there's a problem with with Zoom on I'm my, trying my best audience. here. My uh, Wi-Fi is deciding to be terrible tonight for no reason. Listen, we'll do what we can. Uh, <laughs> what can you do? Uh, Scott Matla from Lockdown. There we go. Canadians I can hear you us. finally. Oh, you can? Okay, good, good. Okay. Yeah, I so, can actually hear you, and it doesn't sound like you're being run through a meat grinder in my ears for some reason. <laughs> fantastic. I mean, worst worst case scenario, it might be a Zoom issue, and I can, like, close out the Zoom window, go back to solo for a few minutes, and open up another one and send it to you. But we'll right. figure it out. So everyone, stick with us. It's game over, so there's tech issues. There's always tech issues <laughs> on game over. It's the way we roll, no matter how much effort we put in. Hey, just like the Montreal Canadiens, no matter how much effort they put in, something seems to go wrong. And uh, obviously, they, they blew the, the lead tonight. But we're going to start out with the positives because I think that's the biggest takeaway from this game. I don't know about you, Scott, but I thought the only reason the Capitals even had a heartbeat in this game was that the officials kept on handing them power plays early in the game. And I know the Canadians are taking those penalties on their own, too. But from the flow of play at even strength, it was an utter domination. Yeah, because I had the Habs game on behind me, and I'm watching the Rocket game at the same time, which is a test to do when one of them doesn't have any audio. And I'm watching the Capitals, and it's like, everyone's like, this game's so boring, and I look at five-on-five, five and I just kind of go, there's there's not a lot in this game, and I don't think it's on the Habs side of things here. And then in the second period, when they just started kind of chugging along there, and they found their feet, it was just every time I look up, it's the Habs just pressing, pressing, pressing. And... It's they mentioned it on Sportsnet too. Part of this is that the Habs almost handed them the game away by not scoring on those five on threes, which the power play is a problem in Montreal. It's ten years ago again, all over again. And if they score on one of those and go up three nothing, I feel like this is a game that Washington just kind of goes and kind of deflates in on itself and Montreal maybe it gets to leave this game a little more comfortably than they did, I think. Yeah, we got a a little bit of feedback here from uh, Michael Richet 
says so, so, I don't know if there's something wrong with the mic, but Scott, you sound like a urinating tree. I mean, if if there's issues with Scott's sound, definitely let me know. I'll try to troubleshoot what we can do here. I might try to send the the audio through uh, a different source and see if we can get that working. So definitely let us give us feedback, uh, the folks who are here with us live, because we'll try to fix stuff. But yeah, I'm I'm really impressed uh, with the way the Canadians came out in this one. Um, obviously, I think. Similar to the Minnesota game, the execution is not, like, really crisp, but the effort level tonight was incredible. I, and that's the thing is, it's, there were some skill plays in this, like, some of the things Nick Suzuki did tonight with the puck were incredible, including the overtime, you know, the leading pass in the overtime in the past to Sean Monahan. but every time I just saw it is, there are bodies going in hard on the forecheck, there's people... Uh, coming in and just it can it's almost like they were trying to establish a cycle in the first time for however long with the Canadians team I noticed Uri Slavkovsky using his big frame in a way that it's meant to be used in this game and Alex Newhook continues to just be really really impressive to me I know that people are going to question that trade for a little bit still but I watch his efforts night in and night out and then even the old guys Brendan Gallagher old guys uh, Gallagher and Pearson (laughs) I noticed them in good ways tonight and not that, oh, they're six steps behind the play because they can't skate anymore. Like there, It's hard to pick out something from this game outside of the power play that I look at and go, wow, got to fix that before the next five games in a row there or something else. Yeah, and I mean, even the power play, I thought this game they had better power plays than every other game. <laughs> Except for maybe against Toronto where they had the goal called back. Like they really had two power play goals in that one. But to... The power play does seem to be slightly improving at the very least. They're they're not causing shorties against at least, you know, like they're getting a couple of decent chances. Uh, Caulfield, I thought, was kind of fighting the puck tonight in terms of shooting, but his passing was really great until overtime. And he's just like, oh, right, I can do this very easily. <laughs> it's the thing about the power play is I look at the goal they did score and they're not going to Caulfield on that. And they're being, they're disguising their intentions. And Sean Monahan's operating really well in that bumper spot there. And it makes me wonder why they get a, or go away from that in some case. I know that Caulfield is a weapon in every sense of the word there. But if everyone knows you're going to go to that, they're going to do what team, well, some teams do with Ovechkin and start shading that. And all respect to Caulfield is not Alexander Ovechkin on the power play, at least not yet. You have plenty of other options to be mobile and create opportunity in the offensive zone. And I wish they would disguise more stuff like they did on that first goal there. Even if it means you got to activate the defense and be a little bit more risk-taking on the power play, this is the exact time that you should be trying that. Trying guys out and getting them to find strengths or things that work because the Habs aren't meant to be contending for anything this year. Just figure out the stuff that you need to build on for the years that you are. Yeah, uh, Evan B in the chat is right with you. He says you have to have multiple looks for an effective power play, and it's true. You know, uh, obviously the Capitals' power play is a bit dysfunctional right now. They're having a rough start to the season, but in those days of yore where the Caps were a great team, they had, you know, Oshie in the bumper spot, Carlson and Ovechkin in one-timer spots where they could kind of move around, strafe, and you've got Kuznetsov and Baxter feeding those guys, you know, two elite playmakers and three people who are either elite of elite shooters or really perfect in that spot like Oshie's hand-eye coordination just incredible and I think Monaghan is in that realm 
they tried to do that exact same play on the late power play in the game. Hey, and it just like uh, Kemper just read it at the last second and cut off the pass from Suzuki to Monaghan. So I'm glad that they're actually going for those plays because, you know, we saw uh, early in the season, the, the goal that Caulfield got, they got called back where Monaghan slid that backdoor pass through the crease. That was really slick, but using Monaghan as more of a shooting option as well. Like they've just got to find more opportunities to set up other guys and that'll open up Caulfield more. And I look at Matheson as being one of those guys because of how well that he maneuvers the puck is that he doesn't have the same like feeding vision that Andre Markov had with the way that he could pass and open up backdoor seams that other players couldn't do. But his mobility and agility in the offensive zone should allow him to rove a bit there and force teams to shuffle the coverage there. That if you're guarding Caulfield and you're shadowing him and you have Mike Matheson just doing twists and turns and backflips and all that other cool stuff in the offensive zone, you can't dedicate that same amount of coverage to one guy anymore. And then it opens up guy in the bumper spot operating from behind the net, even Suzuki, where he walks into that. If Matheson's circling the net and Suzuki can walk into his wrist shot there, you're creating new looks that teams aren't prepared for because they're used to Matheson at point Caulfield here, Suzuki here. Just find some ways to be, I I don't need rocket science out of this. I just need a little bit of creativity and, you know, freedom, which is what Martin St. Louis preaches as his coaching style. Yeah, it, it's very true. Suzuki really wants to get one of those wristers, eh? He tried it several times tonight. A couple of times he fainted and, and went to, to Caulfield through it or trying to go through the middle, but he very clearly wants to get a goal here it hasn't been the start that he's wanted i think people are overestimating how rough it's been for him like i thought he was really strong tonight that whole line was really strong i have to take like i know it's tiny sample size and it's really early in the season but i'm gonna pat myself on the back and take a victory lap because i know i'm not the only person but i was watching last year in, in the latter half of the year when caulfield was out and how strong Harvey Pennard was with Nick Suzuki and how well they were doing by the underlying numbers. And I was like, listen, I don't care about size. Put Caulfield with those two and see what happens. And Minnesota obviously was not a great game. Everybody kind of took a dump on the ice there. But both games that they've played together, I think they've been the best line. And chipping in defensively as well. You know, like Harvey Pennard's a smart, smart player. I love the hockey IQ of those three together. And I saw a lot of media talking about how like uh, Marty St. Louis saw that there was too many small players against Minnesota. Like that, that's not at all what it was against Minnesota. It had nothing to do with size. That was about like, those guys came out shell-shocked that Doc was gone for the year. And it's also, it's like they gave up two goals in 25 seconds after losing their, you know, top center and everyone's yep. a little bit, you know, oh, this sucks a little bit. Like, it had nothing to do with size. If, if size had to do anything with the Canadian success or not, we would, it, no. And I'd also like to take a victory lap on Harvey Pinard because I covered the Rocket when he was on his AHL deal and watched him come in as a guy who was playing on the fourth line and he's on the third line, the second line, and then he's on the top line. He's in every situation. He gets to the NHL and puts up, what, 14 goals last year? Something ridiculous in 30-something games. And I call him a piece that he's not a superstar. He's not going to be a superstar, but he's moldable that you go, I need you on this energy checking line and he'll give you energy and checking with that. I need you on this line. That's going to eat up some of those defensive minutes. He'll give you that. I need you to stand in front of the net and swat in Caulfield rebounds or Suzuki passes. And he'll do that. There's a lot of value in a guy that is 
a jack of all trades, master of none type player. And Rafael Harvey Pinard fills that role so well that even if Joshua comes up later on in the season or something like that, and they want to put him there, he's going to be effective on whatever line you put him on because he's just, he's Play-Doh. He's, you know, you can mold him into whatever you need him to be and it still works for this team. Yeah. It's really incredible how he just finds a way to contribute in every situation, you know, whether it's playing on the penalty kill in the NHL level as, as a rookie or, scoring goals in the top line or just finding ways to score on the fourth line. He doesn't complain. He just does his job. And it's, you know, obviously, especially great that he's a hometown boy as well, but to have a player like that, that you can just slot in everywhere. Like that's, it's a coach's dream, right? You got to love those guys. We have so many positives, I think, to talk about from this game in comparison to the last game. I'm going to save a couple things for our last segment. I want to talk about like players who've improved year over year. But let's let's talk a little bit about Jake Allen because this was a game. I know that they blew the two goal lead, but in that first period where the Canadians were absolutely dominating, but they couldn't get their shots on net, and the only chances that uh, Washington was getting were on the counterattack, which are often higher quality chances. They could not allow one of those to go in in the first period. Like if that happens, the game's going off the rails. Right? Allen stood so tall through the penalty kills, through those, like the, uh, not shorthanded, but the uh, odd man rushes, he was big tonight. And the thing is, is that I got on Jake Allen after the game against Toronto, where I thought he was not at his best. Mm-hmm. And I get that Toronto's very good and they can score a lot of goals, but there are some goals in that game that I go, if he stops those, this is, we're talking about a completely different start to the season for Montreal and Toronto. The Noah Gregor yeah. goal. <laughs> The Noah Gregor goal, the one where Matthews just shot it from below the goal line. But tonight, Jake Allen was just like, what if I just don't or you just don't? And everything is he's going two pad stack. He's coming across with the glove. He's locking everything in. And it was a steadying presence when the Canadians were maybe a little bit uneasy going into that where we're not playing bad. But that first goal goes in. It's like when the air comes out of a balloon. And it can't be understated how much having a solid night at the back like that helps spur, you know, the offense to produce more and take more chances because they know it's he's locked in. I still think Montembeau is the starter that you go forward with here, but Same. I feel a little bit more confident in Jake Allen after this game than I did after the preseason in Toronto so far. And with a busy schedule coming up, he's going to play. Caden Primo's got to play. Montembeau's got to play. It's We're going to get a lot of goalie analysis in the next two weeks. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe a goalie trade at the end of it, you never know. But yeah, I think this is kind of why Jake Allen got that contract in the first place, right? He kind of looks like a bit of a miss to have another year on it afterwards, but and and it's like a, a bit of a heftier contract for a guy who's going to be a 1B at best. But how many games have we watched for the Montreal Canadiens over the last two years where it's just been Allen keeping them in and keeping the young kids confident to like just stick in a game they have no business being in. Now this that's not what this was. They had plenty of business being in this game. But it's nice to see him give that kind of performance in a game where they're not getting dummied. <laughs> you know, it seems like it's always the games where they allow 45 shots and Allen's like I'm going to allow one goal tonight and that's it. So to to have him stand up tonight, uh I, it was it was really nice to see. And that's the thing about it is, like you said, this wasn't a game where it's just they're getting shellacked all over the ice. And when the when the game's over, the goalie looks like he's going to collapse in the goaltending crease. Like, it was good to have 
and I, I guess normal is the right word to use here. I've forgotten what a normal goaltending performance looks like basically in the last, whenever Carey Price's last actual full regular season was. <laughs> and it's, I still don't know who they're going to trade. I don't know what Ken Hughes is going to do here because he always surprises me here. But like you said, in the next two weeks, I'm wondering if this is just basically, we're going to have tryouts Everybody go. I think Montembeau is basically a lock to stay, but if uh, Allen continues to play like this, maybe you do trade Caden Primo or you try and sneak him through waivers, I guess. But that's just kind of the way it goes. It's the way she goes sometimes. Yeah, it's it's really strong. Um, I got to say, one of the things that's sticking out to me most this season is the improved play at 5-on-5. I know everybody's focused on special teams. They are still not good, uh, but... Last year, the the five on five play was just as bad as the step as the special teams. It was just that the goalies were really strong at five on five, and they scored like the top line scored on a higher percentage of their chances than you would expect uh, at five on five as well. So far this year, the Canadians have led in high danger chances in at five on five in three of four games, and the game against Minnesota was four five. I don't think they had a stretch like that in either of the last two seasons. I would be hard pressed to think of one. I know that every now and then, like last year, the Canadians went on like a four game winning streak, but a bunch of that was Samuel Montembeau just decided that he's prime Dominic Hasek in the crease in those games. <laughs> and I think that's the, a good point is that a lot of people look at the power play because of how bad it is. And it is bad that they miss the other good stuff, the building blocks in there. Martin St. Louis mentioned this, and this was a quote that I looked at and kind of went, well, that seems bad in that he talked about how much they practice at the even strength situation and not special teams. The power play as much because they're trying to build themselves into a, a good even strength team. And if that's paying off, that's a really good thing for the Canadians when you get to games where they just don't call penalties and the main game state is five on five. And obviously having Kirby Doc would probably help these numbers a lot too, but doing what they're doing with a makeshift kind of now second line center spot there is really impressive. And I know the caps aren't great and Chicago, Chicago, but to be able to put together repeat five on five strong performances is something like you said, we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. It hasn't been the Canadians that we know since like Claude Julien was fired, <laughs> which, you know, was great, even strength and terrible power play. But I think you bring up a great point because we talked a bit about, uh, Marty St. Louis saying like the last couple of years, they didn't really practice the power play at all. And they're probably going to practice it a bit more this year because the last two years, they straight up weren't competing, right? They weren't trying to win. It was building concepts to build for the future. And now if we're already seeing this much progress at five on five, like if they're actually this decent five on five for the whole year, this team's a lot better than I expected, you know? And, you know, because we talked about, lack of discipline. I think that transitions really nicely into our next topic, but before I get into it, got to remind everybody in the chat, we are doing something different this year. We're going to have a presser at the end of the show where you can ask your off-topic questions. So if you have something that's not what we're talking about right now, just keep it, hold it, stick around, and then we'll tell you when it's time to ask questions in the chat. And then Scott and I will answer a few of them. So we'll get into that. But you mentioned, you know, when penalties go away, and there's been a lot of talk about the lack of discipline for this team because it's been an absolute parade to the penalty box through four games. But what I'm noticing in a lot of these calls is most of these are just not calls. Most of the NHL season. 
And frankly, they haven't been calls for the Canadians' opponents so far this season. They're getting a, they're in a, one of those ref ruts where everything seems to go against them. And I know Washington was livid in the third period, but all the calls that Washington made or got were like super blatant. Like Tom Wilson going around and like kneeing a guy and being like, what? How's that tripping? Like, come on. Come well, on. that's the Tom Wilson special is that I didn't do that. Yeah. I mean, I know that stick says Wilson and it's embedded in his skull, but no, I didn't do that. You know, that's Show him fine. the replay and he's like, that's not me. Him throwing a temper tantrum over a very blatant tripping penalty. I was like, he's going to brain somebody in this game now, and I'm going to get really upset at a pointless game in November. But uh, it's the penalty thing is, and I, I want to say this often because I don't want to make it seem like I blame the ref when the Habs lose. Uh, that's Matt Drake's job is I don't think the refs are out despite the Habs. I just think they really suck at their jobs overall and that they are easily Agreed. fooled. And there's replay in this. And the and I know VAR is a, you know, conflict of interest in soccer that people don't love all the time, but if you can go back and see if this was actually a penalty, there's a bunch of things that this stick didn't hit that guy. The stick didn't go around his legs there. He just fell over. Max Domi's, you know, tripping penalty in the first game against Toronto was he literally dove with the wrong leg and the ref still called it. But yeah. it's I just think the refs are bad. And the Canadians now, especially Jack Eye, who has the reputation as being, you know, a shit disturber a little bit, they're just looking to call anything. And it's also early season when they're pretending to give a crap about penalties that in a month, a bunch of this probably won't be getting called anymore whatsoever. And then maybe we'll see the more of the dominant five-on-five five Canadians when they don't have to go on the power play or on the penalty kill at any point. Yeah, I, I think there's several factors that work against the Canadians overall with officiating. Like, there are biases in the game. I don't think it's against any team. I think that's, like, people who actually believe that, I think, are just over-emotional and reacting in the moment. And I don't, I don't really blame them because I get that it's frustrating. I get frustrated too. But refs often don't give the benefit of the doubt to smaller players. Like when a smaller player gets taken down, they're like, oh, well, you fell because you're small. Whereas bigger players, when they get fall, like they get tripped or they dive or whatever, the refs are more e- will fall for that more easily. And also young players don't get the benefit of the doubt like vets. So this is a very young, smaller team that works against them, right? It, it just the fact of the way it is. A lot of the linesmen, a lot of the refs, are bigger players who played hockey and they view it through their lens, right? And I, I don't think that that's like a team-based thing. It's just something that the Canadians have to contend with. But it, it does, it can get frustrating and it's not, over the course of the season, it's not going to always be like this, right? We, we all know that. It's not going to be, what are they averaging, 28 penalty minutes a game or something? Yeah, like, it's so crazy. It's just absolutely bonkers. And the thing is, it's like the NHL's like, everybody's paying attention. The season just started. They still care about Connor Bedard. You know, Edmonton has playoff hope. Every eyes are on this. Then the minute it hits November and like football season's getting ready for football, everyone's just like, we don't care. Uh, you can just two hand a dude in the chest and we don't care as long as we don't like look directly at it, you know, for more than two seconds. And then they'll just stop calling everything. And then we get, you know, the opposite side of things where, oh, this is just ugly crap hockey where one team is getting outplayed, so they just hack and slash everything that moves going forward, which will be a problem then too, I'm sure. Oh, 100%. Like, there'll be things that you have to conquer or whatever, however you want to view it, but I I think officiating is just something that you can't spend too much time worrying about on a team-based level as much as fans get upset. I think it's 
like we're talking about uh, referees being bad and, and like not seeing things. I don't even know if it's bad. I think they just have too much to do. Like the game is so fast now. Their directives are at times confusing and contradictory. We just got to bring in off ice officials. That's off ice officials have a little mic and ear plug thing for, for the refs on the ice so they can talk to the off ice officials. They can say, Hey, you missed that. Or like, Hey, come check this out. Makes it a lot easier. Will there be some more stoppages? Maybe. But as far as I'm concerned, if you can't tell what the play is supposed to be within five seconds, move on from the review. It doesn't matter. It's too close to call. Just go with what happened on the ice. Uh, Speaking of, you know, we're talking about lack of discipline. Officials uh, can't defend a lead. Talking about bad stuff from this game. How upset were you from the, the goals that went in? while they're defending the lead. Do you think they shelled a little bit too much? I it's I, I don't even know if I can call it they tried to shell against Toronto and that was just a terrible idea because Toronto has the game breakers to do that. Yeah. A lot of this was I think from the early going and just the energy exerted on everything because they worked hard all game is that eventually it's just you're getting tired there with the amount of power plays and penalty kills and everything else going on in this game. They just got tired and Allen, you know, who was about as good as you could possibly ask tonight. You know, it's just they're scrambles. And when (laughs) this defense starts scrambling even a little bit, it is not pretty because there's with Caden Gooley out right now, there's not a lot of I I don't want to say non finesse players, but like Arbor Jack guy doesn't move like a Mike Matheson or Caden Gooley does. It's. It's just a little bit frustrating because you can you see it coming a mile away, and it's like if you just calmly do you know the simplest thing, and I can easily say that because I am sitting in a chair, hundreds of thousands of miles, hundreds of miles away from whatever's going on. But it's I don't know if it's just inexperience or panic or whatever it is. But when they focus, and even if they dump it down for an icing, it's better than them just hacking it into the corner boards and it never leaving the zone. I think a lot of it was just they got tired at that point and. Those cracks widened just enough for was it Dylan Strom's the one in Washington? Uh, yeah, he scored twice. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're right. You know, this is a team like what I got from this game is there. There's a hundred percent buy-in, right? And I think we knew that last year, just based on the amount of injuries that they were dealing with, and still, you know, remaining competitive for most of the season. Losing, yes, but remaining competitive. But at a certain point, they are still a young team with I think there's only one player on the roster right now who I wouldn't say has earned their spot. So there's no like freeloaders anymore. Uh not to trash UL Armia too much, even though he's a healthy scratch right now. But last year he was not uh, putting in the effort that needed to be in the lineup, right? But uh, they are a team that doesn't have the high-end talent that a lot of these other teams have. And because they have to get through games by actually dominating their opponents like physically being on loose pucks all the time all the like little things that they have to be almost perfect it does make sense that they wear out at the end of games like it, it just does especially when uh the coaches keep throwing out david savard at the end of the game when he's like completely gassed and it was actually like i was checking the ice time all game because his ice time has been really high through the first few games here and it was pretty even but as the game got closer to the end he went from fourth in even strength ice time to second and i believe in all situations he was 
Yeah, second on D. <laughs> Under 20 minutes still, so they were pretty evenly balanced outside of Matheson, but still, I would like to see Savard sit more. I feel like it's just harder for the coaching staff to do that with Gouli out. And, the, and I, I say this all the time on Lockdown Canadians, is I feel bad for David Savard because he is playing way over where he should because some of the kids are still learning the game and haven't you know seized the opportunity maybe the way that we thought they might. And it's hard in a season like this, like you said, to be like, hey, one of the few veterans we actually have on this half of the ice, you know, we're going to, you know, sit you down a little bit more. And he probably just wants to play. And it, it's just anyone else. Put Kovacevic out there if you have yeah. to, because he's been quietly one of those guys that he's not flashy. There's no sizzle to his game, but that's kind of how Brett Kulak operated here for a while, too. And there's a lot to be said for that kind of stable presence. I get why Matheson is out there. I do. But guys like Harris, guys like Kovacevic, Gouli, when he is healthy, have that little bit more finesse that David Savard doesn't that helps alleviate a lot of that panic and pressure. And they also have the foot speed a little bit to get to some of those 50-50 pucks that could be cleared out or passed out of the zone, etc. that Savard just can't get to because his skating isn't there. At least not anymore, it's not. Yeah, and maybe it's not the right game to to make that point because like I feel like Kovacevic, I agree, has been really great this year. He got hammered tonight at even strength, thirty one shot attempts against against Ovechkin, uh, five shot attempts for fourteen against twenty six percent on the Corsis. So it was a tough night for Kovacevic and Harris, who were matched against the Ovi line. Man, Ovi, I gotta say, looks great. For, for a guy who has no goals through four games, he still looks like Ovi. People are worried that he's not going to break the goal record all of a sudden because he's starting slow. He's going to hit 40 this year. He's going to murder a person with a puck in the next game. He's just going to hit yeah. it so hard it's going to go through him like Mortal Kombat style. But just... you know what impressed me about him tonight? With that Ofer looming in the goal column, he was making fantastic passes tonight. He's like, such, man, he's impressive. He's an underrated playmaker, which is a weird thing to say about one of the greatest offensive players we've ever seen. But it's a lot that his goal scoring is so good that it overshadows the other stuff. And the way the broadcast and everything talks about it is that it's like you'd think he's playing on like half a leg with like his arms falling off right now. And I'm like, he's going to hit his stride. He's going to score a hat trick on some poor, unsuspecting team this week. And then rip off like 13 goals in, you know, nine games or something like that, because that's just what he does. His demise is greatly overstated at this point. 100%. Underestimate Alex Ovechkin at your peril. Man, I I thought he was their best player tonight. But overall, I would say the best player on either side tonight was our boy, Killer Cole. Cole Caulfield, our (laughs) small goals boy. Man, he was slick tonight. Uh, Did you see his reverse hit? Yes, it was the funniest thing because I pointed it out in the uh, the four fans network that were talking about the game with a few Caps fans. I went, how small do you have to be to get run over by Cole Caulfield? And then I realized it's Matthew Phillips, who is 15 pounds lighter than Cole Caulfield in the same height. But he's added he's added new wrinkles to his game that I didn't think he had available to him in that he's added a little bit of that physical edge there, not a lock, so it's not his thing. But just his wiliness with the puck in the offensive zone is that he's making plays that opponents are not expecting, whether it be passes or just the way that the routes he takes and everything. He's added so much to his game and he looks so much stronger on his skates now he that really does. you can't you can still push him off the puck eventually because he's five foot seven, but 
he's become so much stronger on it that it is just this little center of gravity that you can't it's like brendan gallagher before all the injuries caught up with him you just you're not getting the puck from him unless you cross check him from behind at that point and he's becoming he's so good at what he does and i'm glad to see that there's more to his game than just i score goals a lot he still does that part and it's really cool but also he's becoming a pretty good playmaker and just a guy that you can count on to be creative in the offensive zone yeah i feel like what impresses me most about cole caulfield's like offensive production is you look around the league at the start of the season here and you've got like austin Matthews scored like six goals in the first two games you know brock besser scoring four goals and Caulfield has had, I think, a hat trick at the NHL level, but he hasn't really had one of those insane goal scoring streaks where it's like over a goal per game. He just consistently scores like a goal every other game or a little bit more than that all the time. Like he very, it's outside of that Ducharme era, (laughs) you know, ever since St. Louis took over, he's just the most consistent goal scorer I think I've ever seen on the Montreal Canadiens. It's, it's incredible. I, and the thing about it is, is that he get, he gets, he's creative in the way that he scores his goals, that he's not just ripping one timers on the power play, which we know he can do, or, you know, he's on the odd man rushes a finisher with a wrist shot that goal he scored against Chicago, where he's batting it to himself and it goes in the net. He's diversifying his attack, which is what good goal scorers do. Sidney Crosby's so damn good at scoring goals because he can beat you any number of ways. Same with McDavid that just, and this is not to say that he is like that, but he's diversifying in a way that makes him such a more nuanced threat for people to defend. It's not just, oh, he's going to stand over here. I can just shadow him. If he's going to beat you backhand, forehand, on the brush, anything, he becomes so much more dangerous. And his synergy with Suzuki just is... It's hard to deny it at this point that those two don't just click. And for opposing defenses, they still try their best. God bless them. Yeah. And speaking of Suzuki, we're we're talking about lack of discipline, but I kind of love when Suzuki loses it a little bit. Like he usually finds his spots and doesn't get called for it. But did you see it was like pretty early in the game? He came across the opposing blue line, lost the puck, and like quite late, Nick Jensen tried to light him up. And he just caught him a little bit. He caught him like in the shoulder, almost picked his head. And Suzuki, you could see turn around and picked a number. And then later, I don't remember if it was the first period or the second period, but the Canadians were on a power play and the puck got cleared. Suzuki was first man back, but Jensen was there trying to get the puck like on the forecheck. And Suzuki just bowled him over on the power play, just ran him. And I was like, he took that guy's number and took his opportunity. I love sassy Nick Suzuki. He's, and I say this with the most amount of affection in my heart, when he gets in that way, he's such a petulant little shit. Yeah. Because he does it, he does it in a way that is not blatant. It's just little things and that drives people even more nuts. And no one's gonna be like, wow, Nick Suzuki, what a, you know, what an asshole, what a piece of shit he is. And no, he's just a little, you know, a little stick here, you know, a little jab there, a little poke after the whistle kind of thing. Or if your Carter Hardy pats you on the head and steals your soul for a couple of years, <laughs> it's, I love it. It is, he is so much fun when he's being petty like that because people like Jack I and Anderson are just like, I'm just going to physically harm you. Nick Suzuki's like, I'm going to harm you, but it's going to hurt later on when you're thinking about it, kind of harm you. And that's, it's very cerebral Nick Suzuki like to be like that all the time. Yeah, I, I, I do love it. I, I think it, it adds something to his game too, right? Getting people off their game, whether it's 
tapping somebody on the head or, you know, <clears throat> maybe saying something behind the play that sticks with a guy and makes them do something stupid later in the game. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who are all over Suzuki for whatever reason to start this season, but uh, the Suzuki fan club stays strong at Locked On Canadians and Game Over Montreal. All right, I do want to talk about players who've really had a big step uh, year over year. We, we talked about Caulfield, but uh, we don't need to talk about him anymore. We always talk about Cole Caulfield. <laughs> but uh, before I get into that, I'm going to remind everyone, stick around to the end. We're going to have our presser where you can ask questions and Scott and I will answer them. So please hold your off-topic questions. But if you're on topic, of course, contribute in the chat and we'll bring it in if, if you have a good comment, of course. Uh, we talked. We haven't talked about Uri Slavkovsky yet tonight. And another game where he doesn't really produce, but I thought he was really, really strong. You know, it, it, defensively, he's making good reads. Offensively, he's making good plays. It hasn't fully clicked, but I see the player now. Last year, I don't think I saw the player he was going to become. Now I can see, like, the outline of what he's going to be when he's fully physically and mentally mature. The wildest part about his game is the biggest thing I've picked up about what he's doing this year is he isn't playing with his head down as much. And I know that's a very simple thing. I've watched him in the defensive zone where last year he'd be looking at the puck at his feet and then slowly scanning the ice to see what he does. And by that point, he just gets lit up by somebody or has to force a pass. He's getting the puck and he's already got his head up looking everywhere. And he's able to then get up to speed and become a quicker threat. on. And he's quick when he gets going. He's a big kid. And then, like you said, physically is that he's just realized on the board that, oh, I'm just bigger and heavier than most of you out of my way. kind of, Like Yoel Armia when he does it once every three months. And bless Yoel, I'm not trying to slander him too much. But it's the only thing I can think of is that he just will not give that puck up there. And I like you, I see the baseline and what they're building on here is that I know when it clicks, it's going to be great. Because I look at the game he had against Toronto, that assist is exactly what I want to see from him is being using that creativity, using that physicality, that speed and creating your own space to work in because he's going to thrive with that. If he can, you know, work that finesse into his game and open up opportunities for whoever's on his line going forward. Yeah. And maybe a little bit of a less uh, expected pick for, for me. I know he hasn't scored yet this season and I don't want him on the power play anymore, but at even strength, this is the best I've seen from Josh Anderson. Like, is he not a different player this year? I know we saw him bring things into his game last year from working with Marty St. Louis and uh, a skills coach whose name is escaping me now because it's Saturday night and I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> Adam Nicholas, Adam Nicholas. Uh, but I, I've been very impressed with Josh Anderson's play this year. Uh, I don't know if he can play like that for 82 games, just the physicality that he brings. But better reads, better puck control, better passes. I'm I'm really impressed. Like it's very rare to have a guy at his age improve as much as Josh Anderson has over the last two years. Yeah, like you, I'm not wild about him as a power play option still. And yes, I know he's occupying space that would be Kirby Docks and whatnot. But just put Harvey Penard there. Yeah, well, yes, I, exactly. Is that I would suggest that, but then I don't want to be accused of having an AHL bias on this podcast. So, but like. <laughs> Anderson's ability to find some playmaking touch, and he's not going to be Nick Suzuki. He's not going to be Doc. He's not even going to be probably Jake Evans in that regard. But just adding that, because instead of, oh, I'm just going to shoot this as hard as I can, headhunting the entire way, he he's 
it's almost unselfish play more than just taking the selfish one. Right. I'm glad that he wants to pile up shots and attempts. That's great. But if you're passing up higher opportunities just to, you know, do that, don't. And I think that he has improved a lot. And I originally thought you were going to say Arbor Jacki. Uh, I'm I was going to bring him up next, but yes. <laughs> but that's, I like, I still don't know if Anderson's worth the price tag. And I still know some team will give up a lot for him when that day ever comes. But I am glad to see that he doesn't need to just ride coattails of Suzuki and Caulfield to look good on the ice on any given night. Yeah, I, I was shocked when I checked like the underlying numbers before this game and he was like the top forward on the team. Like really, really strong start for Josh Anderson. Like not being a, a defensive liability is a huge deal for him. And, you know, this is a long season, so we might see more of traditional Josh Anderson. But what I'm seeing so far, I love. And, you know, I, I think if I was making this show... 10 years ago, I'd probably just be railing on get him off the power play. But as you get older, you know, there's more nuance in what you're talking about. And I, I just, I want to talk about the positives as well as the negatives. It's not his fault that he doesn't have the brain to play that spot on the power play. Like he is the player that he is. He's working his damn ass off to be better. So I have the utmost respect for that, but he, he's not the optimal player to be put in that slot. So yeah, let's talk about Arbor Jack guy. Cause man, Every time I underestimate that guy, he blows the doors off and becomes a better player. Talk about hard work. I don't know if there's a harder worker out there than Arbor Jacki to improve himself. The the difference for him year over year in like how he handles the puck, his passing, his defensive awareness. Like how many times tonight did you see him have a good stick and just knock a puck off of a guy and it's just like oh no i'm stronger than you i'm gonna win this battle and it's fine it looks like a dangerous play and jack guy just runs in there and shuts it down i'm beyond impressed with him i remember when he got invited to and i want to say it was the first COVID era camp going into the canadian division that i'm like who the hell is this guy and in preseason games he's playing with xavier willette and i was like this is terrible they're both bad and then he stays in the lineup i'm like oh he was better this game he apparently talked to Luke Richardson that year and was like, give me one more game and got an entry-level deal out of it. And then I was like, wow, okay, maybe there's something there. Goes to the OHL, becomes not only one of the scariest guys to ever play there, becomes a legit two-way option on a team that went to the Memorial Cup. Comes in last year and I was like, oh, he's going to go to Laval. He's got he's to uh, you know, work out some of the other things there. Makes the team out of camp. Yep. becomes arguably one of the scariest dudes in the NHL. And then unfortunately punches a dude so hard he pops his shoulder out and then comes in this year and adds finesse to his game. Still one of the scariest dudes in the NHL, but his ability to not just be like, I'm going to shoot this puck into your shin pads at a hundred miles an hour instead of using some finesse and everything on the power play. It, it, it's such smart, impressive growth. It's not just positioning. It's just little things that veterans do to improve their game that he's doing. And I don't know if that was working with Adam Nicholas as well, or just, you know, another summer of training. He's added so much more to his repertoire that it makes him a really true, like an actual unique player, not uh, like his brother they drafted, but that's, I don't want to be mean about that at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who, who knows? Maybe Florian will have the same arc of improvement that, uh, Arbor has had and we'll eat our words on on that one too. I'm not gonna doubt anyone in that family at this point, you know. Like, Truly. <laughs> first of all, they'll beat me up. Second of all, <laughs> they're much better at hockey than I'll ever be. But 
Yeah, I, I'm just really impressed with with Arbor Jacki. Uh, Desheeran says there was a nice play that Anderson made along the boards with a little dangle and a delay, a new piece of his game that I'm a big fan of so far. Yeah, he's trying to do like Nick Suzuki moves on the boards. I find like he he's learning from things that Suzuki and Caulfield do to give themselves space and like allow their teammates time to get into passing lanes instead of just forcing it. It's those little tiny things, the little adjustments that the best players in the NHL make that create those opportunities. And it's nice to see Anderson find a way to do that. Trizek says Florian's going to make Scott look foolish. Like Scott will be happy. If that happens, I, I will happily be wrong about that. I mean, I I've looked at draft picks, but like, why the hell did they pick this guy? This guy was there, and then I'm completely wrong. It happens. I am not a prospect expert. I just play one on TV. So like, yeah. I mean, I was I'll gladly eat my words that I thought that Arbor Jack guy was just gonna be like a face punching goon when when I heard about him, even when he was in Laval on their. I think they had like a run to the playoffs the year before, like in 2022. He joined right after that there. And it's like, he went to that preseason rookie tournament and in like every game just destroyed people for three games straight and got all of Ottawa angry at him. And then that he just made his own legend for that. And it was, I, I, you don't argue against it anymore. One, because like you said, he'll just beat you up. And two, because I've just learned to keep my mouth shut now. I'm wrong a lot. Hey, you know what? Being wrong means you're learning. I I love being wrong. You know, it it helps me. Uh, Speaking of being wrong, I was worried coming into the season. This is going to be the last positive that we talk about. And then we're going to shift into our our viewer questions. So you can start posting those in the chat now. But I came into this season saying, I think I'm overhyping Joshua Wall a little bit. You know, watching (laughs) him a bunch last year and then watching him in the World Juniors. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to put too much expectations on this kid. He's going to be like a middle six guy who maybe scores like 15, 15. Let's just pump the brakes. Then I watch him in preseason. I'm like, you know what? He's the most NHL ready non-roster player, but I'm still going to pump the brakes a little bit. You know, he needs to go on the AHL for seasoning. I'm starting to question if he needs to be in the AHL, Scott. He is kicking ass and he's not even taking names because the names don't matter to him. It's he had a two more points tonight, too. So he's up to 11 points in five games. So I and Matt Drake will love this if he's listening to this at all or if he's if he's not, I'll tell him to go back and listen to it. I knew that Joshua Wah was a talented player, but wasn't fully believing that he'll be more than, like you said, that middle six kind of guy. And then I watched him in person at the rookie showcase and I go there's a lot of hockey IQ in his plays here yep. in the way he adjusts his entries and the way he adjusts his angles for passing and shooting and creating opportunities. I'm like, okay, good. You know, he made a good push in the preseason. I'm like, he should be great in Laval. Let's see what he does here. Maybe he'll pile up 15, 20 goals, get a late season call up. Cause the rocket have never been a team of like one guy scoring all the goals. that's right. all across the board. And then last night against Rochester on Friday night, just, masterclass of a game from his first assist to his hat trick. He was just everywhere. And he does it so quietly that he don't even realize that he picked up. I didn't realize he picked up two points tonight until I looked at the score sheet after the game. That's how good he is at what he does. And I know that people say he's going to be, should be right there with Suzuki and Caulfield. I wish Kirby doc were here because Wah plays that style again. And that's what I want to see. Yeah. And primary assist tonight on the two goals that, uh, kept the rocket in that game obviously they they lost but 
Still, one goal loss. Another point for Sean Farrell as well. Uh, Logan Mayu scored his first pro goal. But uh, let's move on to the chat questions because I'm excited for uh, some of the questions we got. There was a question earlier on in the show that I want to go back to because last year, I, I guess it was like towards the end of the year, I had talked about... Um, I had heard through the grapevine that there was a former Montreal Canadian who wanted to sign in Montreal this summer or last summer. Obviously, it didn't happen. And people were asking me who it was. It was uh, Max Pacioretty. So uh, for those who don't know, uh, obviously, Max Pacioretty last year blew out his Achilles twice. uh, Basically lost a year of being able to be a hockey player. And then he came back in the summer training and he blowed his Achilles again. So that's why he's currently out. He's blown his Achilles three times and I'm not an insider by any stretch of the imagination. I have some contacts, but from what I heard there is the Montreal Canadians were just not interested in taking on another player for injury reasons, right? They've dealt with so many injuries over the last couple of years they didn't want to go there, so he went to Washington, where he's going to sit out for a little bit longer and hopefully come back and recapture his career. But three Achilles blowouts, that's a lot to come back from. For a guy who, like, skating is a big part of his game, I'm a huge Mac Pacioretty guy. I think he's more, one of the more underrated players over the last, like, 15 years of hockey. But I, I kind of understand why the Canadians didn't want to go for it, especially considering they're not really competing right now and you know i know he wanted to be in montreal partially for his kids right his kids all play hockey uh remember his his wife is uh the sister of maxima finiganov so there's crazy hockey playing genes apparently his kids are incredible at hockey so he wanted them to be in canada for that didn't work out i don't know maybe max comes back another time i think without the captain c on there it would be a little bit better than how it ended and Anytime there's a guy who has given so much to the Canadians and it ends poorly, I kind of have a soft spot for them, right? Like like Jeff Petrie, amazing Montreal Canadian for so long, and then a very bitter end. And, and that, that just kind of sucks. So I, I'd like to be able to smooth that over, just like they did with P.K. Subban. Whether it happens with him in a Habs jersey or after he's finished his career, doesn't really matter. All right, I missed part of it because my Wi-Fi was acting up, and I'm just going to agree <laughs> that I miss Max Pacioretty, and I I get why they ended up trading him, whether I agreed with it or not. And yeah, Nick Suzuki and Matthias Norlinder turned out great from that, and Thomas Tatar did while he was here, but mm-hmm. he was the guy that they traded him and immediately were like, we need a goal-scoring winger. Well, you know, it's... I am... I If he, if he comes back at all, I'm going to be shocked. I know Achilles' blowouts are terrible, in every facet, but like you said, just for that, it's it's tough. I'd love to see him in the Habs uniform, at least, you know, in a part-time role somehow. And I think that might happen depending on how it goes in Washington. I guess we'll see. Uh, Trizak asks, is this the most pissed Martin St. Louis should be after a win or are my vibes off? I don't know. I think he was clearly not pleased that they blew it. But I think without Doc, the expectations change. And I for me, I think the effort matters more like against many, you can kind of write that off as these guys were crushed. I thought they bounced back in a huge way tonight. And yeah, they weren't able to pile on the goals, 
Darcy Kemper is a pretty good goaltender, and I think the Capitals did a pretty good job getting like into lanes, blocking shots. But overall, I, I don't know. I, I don't think he should be that upset. What about you, Scott? I mean, like, hey, never do that kind of again, you know, shake a newspaper like you're going to whap the dog on a nose kind of thing. And enjoy the win. Caulfield got the overtime winner there. Nick Suzuki gets two really good assists. Gallagher gets his first of the year. Monaghan scores again. Your veterans, you know, had a bounce back game and the young guys got you the win. You can be frustrated about the things that led to it being an overtime. But overall, I think you look at that and you go, that's exactly what the season should be about here for some the older guys and the younger guys right now. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Evan B. asks for Scott, the entire EOTP staff gets put in a Hunger Games scenario. Who wins? Is Mark. It, it's Mark. <laughs> Mark. I mean, do old uh, alumni account or is it just current staff? I mean, I mean, if it's current staff, it will probably be Justin because Justin's a robot. So that's like cheating, I'm pretty sure. But it, it, if right now it would probably come down to uh matt or myself all time it's just going to be mark because the man lives in the woods in the off season like i'm not betting against mark until he has to sleep on the ground for a couple nights and it messes up his back or something i mean mark is the kind of guy who like has a go bag packed because he thinks the hunger games is starting too so like not not trying to throw any shade at mark but uh he's he's ready he's ready he's got the ron swanson bug out bag like right inside his desk ready to go at any point in time it's true. I mean, Mark essentially is Ron Swanson, but not conservative. That that is <laughs> that is who Mark is. Enjoys a fine whiskey, a nice steak. Can't eat bread though, uh, <laughs> or else he'll have some time on the toilet. Uh, any other questions here? I actually don't see any, so I think uh, it's probably good to wrap here. So thanks everyone for joining us tonight on this great win for the Montreal Canadiens. Hey, they're over five hundred to start the season for the second year in a row. That's not so bad. I'm sure there'll be misery down the line, but it's nice to have some positivity to start the year when you're doing 82 of these. I'm not doing all 82, but you get my meaning. And uh, Scott is going to be doing a lot more than 82 for Locked On Canadians because they're a five times a week show. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On Canadians and Game Over NHL on your favorite podcast source. Subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page and smash that like button because that helps us grow. And I swear you guys, you're such a great crew that come out here every night. We really appreciate we're not every night, but every game night and, and enjoy this stuff with us. And it really means the world to us to get your support. And uh, it really helps the show go. Oh, geez. There's more questions now that I said, we're wrapping. Uh, Jay says, not sure underlying numbers, but it seemed like they lost every face off last year and seemed to be solved this year. Yeah. The, the face offs are, a big deal, I guess. I mean, it, it helps, you know. Uh, when do you think we'll see Slaff get a healthy start on the top line or the first power play? I think first power play is not too far away. They'll try. What about you, Scott? I, I would think that I want to see him on that line just to see what it kind of looks like. And it, with all the games coming up, they'll shuffle they'll shuffle lines around there and get guys in if they got to call guys up because it's a lot of games in a short amount of time. Unless, you know, Suzuki, Caulfield, and the RHP just keeps clocking like that. I think, like you said, though, it's not too far off that they'll give him a shot because he is he's ripping pucks this year. He's going to bury some goals soon. Yeah, it, it, he's just needs to get something going his way. And I think the production's going to come. I expect Slaff to be like 
a 20 plus 20 guy this year. That's that's what I expect at the end of the year. And he's going to get better than that. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here on Game Over Montreal. Again, smash that like button, subscribe, all that cool stuff. We'll see you next time. I think the next game is, when is it? It is Monday against the Sabres. And I'm going to have on Nicola Cloutier from TVA Sports. So that's going to be fun. Scott, thank you for joining me here today. Obviously, you can find Scott on Twitter at Scott Matla. You can find him on Instagram at CallMeScort. And uh, we'll see you soon.